Glory to God. We'll just pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for drawing near to us, Lord. Thank you that you're with us, that you're, you're in us. Lord, we just ask that um, you open our eyes to, uh, to your ability, to the strength that's in your life, to, to your presence and how your presence abides in us and how your ability abides in us. I thank you, Lord, that uh, your spirit that dwells in us is guiding us to the place where we see you with us everywhere we go. We see your presence in us everywhere we go and our eyes become fixated on your ability and the strength that's in your life instead of our own ability, instead of human ability. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Um, I take December off every every year for like three years now. Um, it's kind of like in the scriptures where, and I'm not saying I'm Jesus, but it's kind of like in the scriptures where you, Jesus would retract from people and go be alone with the Father. Everybody needs that. And even while I'm preaching during the whole year, the Lord ministers to me the whole time. So it's not that the Lord isn't always ministering to me, but I, I, I find that I need to go get off with the Lord alone sometimes, right? Without an agenda, without thinking about ministering to everybody else and just walk around with the Lord, right? And, and during the, this past December, I mean, the Lord always ministers to you when you walk with, with, with the Lord. But during this past December, the Lord really ministered to me and reminded me of some things. I say reminded. You know we're the kind of people that need to be reminded? You know that's why we like photos? You ever notice why we get happy when we look at a photo? It reminds us of something, right? And we might have even, you ever looked at some photos and had completely forgotten? And then you see the photo and you're like, oh yeah, how did I forget that? I mean, Becky and I, we, we lived out of storage for four years when we started the church. And so all of our stuff was in storage. And when we finally got into a house, the first thing we did was un unpack all of our mementos from our life. And there were some things in there that we had like forgot, like it never happened. And then, man, we, we pulled it all out and just the joy that, that came upon us, right? The gospel is not like academia. It's not the kind of thing that you learn and then you just learn it and you don't need to be reminded of it ever again, right? Like in school, I went to algebra class. Well, the next year I didn't go to algebra class again because it's like an intellectual thing. So I already knew algebra. So I didn't need to be reminded of algebra. I just took what I knew and I went forward. Well, the gospel is not like a class. It's not the kind of thing that you go and learn with your intellect. And now that you've learned it with your intellect, you never need to be reminded about it again. Because the gospel speaks to the heart. It doesn't speak to the intellect. Now, once the gospel gets in your heart, your intellect can be animated with the gospel that's first in your heart. And so you can gain understanding and you can live out of that understanding. But you never grow to the place where you don't need to be reminded of some simple, profound things. And these are some things that I had learned, gosh, I, I want to say when I was a teenager or a kid. And it was surprising to me that I had forgotten so much about it. Right. And so the Lord really ministered to me and reminded me of some things that I've seen produce a lot of fruit in my life. Um, since I've, I've come back. And so I thought to share some of that, and I think it goes right along um, with what we've been talking about, with the meekness and the boldness, and our minds being filled with the care God has given our lives, instead of our minds being filled with taking thought to care for ourselves, right? Um, it goes right along with that. And I think next week, I might carry this right into um, explaining the verse where Paul talks about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 
Um, because we all have an opinion about that, and I find most of our opinions aren't really in line with what Paul was talking about, right? Um, he, wasn't, he wasn't talking about take every thought captive to the fact that Christ was obedient. Christ is the wisdom of God. Paul called Christ the wisdom of God. So when he uses the word Christ, you know, Jesus existed long before he put on human flesh. He's called the Logos. He's the life that manifested. He created all things. He is the wisdom and the power of God manifested. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. So when Paul said, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, what he was saying is, is let every thought come into the presence of the wisdom of God that is Christ and let the wisdom that is Christ discern your thoughts for you. Right? And the church has not been led into that type of dynamic, right, where they do that. We don't even know how to weigh our thoughts against the wisdom that is Christ. We focus so much on a historical Jesus, on Jesus the man. And that is part of the gospel. Jesus is, did come in the flesh. And we can learn a lot from that. But I feel like the church has completely lost sight of what it means, Christ, the wisdom of God. That the word of God was made flesh. What word was made flesh? What is this wisdom that was revealed in Christ? And how does that wisdom discern our thoughts? And so probably next week we'll see. I, I may get into that. Um, but this, th I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know today. And in fact, I think it's Paul that said, if you have the Holy Spirit, you know all things already. And even should I say something that you think you haven't heard before? The Holy Spirit in you already knows everything. Right. And so we just connecting. We just like dancing. Right. And so Peter said, I cease not to stir you up by way of remembrance. Although I've told you all these things already and you know these things, I'm going to stir you up right now by reminding you of this. I've been walking with the Lord since I was three years old, walking around saying, pray the Lord, pray the Lord. I was filled with the Holy Spirit at five, taught about the gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit at like five years old. And so I've been walking with the Lord nearly my whole life. And I had forgotten about this to the point that I could see it affecting my life negatively. And so we're going to, and I didn't forget intellectually, but in the moment sometimes you lose sight of some very powerful truths. And so we're going to look at uh, Proverbs chapter 3, famous verses that everybody knows. And we're going to take a look at what these verses are saying and we'll build from there. Proverbs chapter 3, we'll pick it up with verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. And all, we can all remember, we all got this memorized, right? In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. You guys know what fear the Lord is? That does not mean be afraid of God. To fear the Lord means for him in his love, in his strength, in his life to be lifted up in your sight right? It's for who he is and his goodness towards you and the strength in his life to be front and center in your thoughts to where as you walk around in the earth, that's what you see, right? Always before you. That's what the fear of the Lord is. Now, when you walk around, the gospel actually puts God on display like that so that he can be lifted up in your sight that way. Now, when God's lifted up in your sight through the preaching of the gospel, you, you will depart from evil, <laughs> Departing from evil isn't something you, you cognizantly decide to do. It's the moment God's goodness and his love and his mercy and his grace and his life is lifted up in your sight, you will depart from evil, right? Because you'll no longer be afraid of the death that's in the world. I don't know if you realize it, but Paul said that the sting of death is sin. 
And so it's when the death in the world is lifted up in our sight that we can feel weakness and it can produce lust in us. Lust for what? Lust for life. And then we try to satisfy our desire for life with our own strength. That's when James would come and say that sin can be conceived in us. That's what's evil, right? Where you try to satisfy your desire for life through the things of the world, or through your own works. Well, when the love of God, His grace, His mercy, His strength, His life is lifted up in your sight, death can no longer sting your heart. It can no longer produce a covetousness or a lusting for life in you. And so you won't go about trying to serve yourself with life or satisfy yourself with life. You'll behold the one who hath satisfied. Right? You'll find satisfaction in you. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. We heard the song about dry bones, right? What does the Lord say to the son of man? Can these bones live? I love it when he says that. That's why I love that song, actually, the rattle song. Son of man, I love that in Ezekiel. Can these bones live? I, I love his response. Thou knowest, Lord. <laughs> Because in his mind, it's like, you ever had somebody ask you a question, you think it's a trick question, right? <laughs> it's like, is this a trick question, Lord, right? Because in his human mind, no, how can these bones live? You're going to put flesh back on these bones? You're going to put tendons on these bones? These bones are dust. They're dead, right? Thou knowest, Lord. The Lord can make bones live. It shall be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty, and your presses shall burst out with new wine. Man, I love the book of Proverbs. When I was a young guy, the book of Proverbs was like my go-to. I don't know why, but I would read the book of Proverbs every night. When I was, before I went to bed, I would just read the book of Proverbs, and I would read it till I fell asleep, right? And, and then you'd wake up with, like, the Bible out in your hand. We didn't have phones back then. I'm like, Becky and I, we realized we're the strange generation that we've seen no cell phones, and we've seen cell phones. We lived when there were no computers, and we've seen the computers. And so Becky and I have had this strange existence where we know what it's like to have no cell phones, and we know what it's like to have them. Um, what's that? Yeah, I, I'm just... But I would wake up having fallen asleep with the Bible in my hand. And, and I was always in the, the book of, of Proverbs. Well, back then, when I read those verses, I thought those verses were saying that I'm supposed to ask God about everything I do and everywhere I go. And then he's going to tell me what to do and where to go. I mean, because the word path is in there, right? And so I always just looked at it as in every situation, i got to ask God what I'm supposed to do. And in everywhere I'm thinking about wh whether I'm going to go to a, a ball game or a concert or am I going to move, right? I had to ask God, and he would tell me what to do. Now, listen, I'm not saying that you, you can't ask God what to do about everything, right? And I'm not saying there's something wrong with that. I mean, God told us to move here when I wasn't even asking him. So you can most certainly ask God about those things, and you can find God ministering to you about those things. But that's not what these verses are talking about. These verses are not saying that uh, every, in everything you do, ask God what to do, and he will now tell you what to do. That's not what those verses are saying. It's not saying that, right? And so 
when you, when you look at acknowledge the Lord in everything you do, that word acknowledge, it, it, when you acknowledge someone, that word acknowledge means to commune with them. It means to have intimacy with them. It means to have fellowship with them. It means to have an intimate relationship with them. So acknowledge them isn't just like, well, I see Jim over there. How you doing, Jim? That's not what acknowledge means. So when it says acknowledge the Lord, it's talking about communing with the Lord. It's talking about having intimacy, having an intimate relationship with God. Well, how do you have an intimate relationship with the Lord? How do you have intimacy with the Lord? Is it just by knowing he's there? It isn't just by knowing he's there because James would come and say, even the devils believe God exists. So that's not what it means to acknowledge the Lord. Acknowledging that God exists is not what it means to acknowledge the Lord, right? And so the way that we have intimacy with the Lord is by seeing that he loves us and that he's with us, having served us with his life. And then we partake with him in his life. That's how we have intimacy with God. First John would come and say it this way. We grab the hold of the word of life that is Jesus. And it says through our fellowship, which is communion or intimacy with the word of life that was manifested in Jesus, we've had intimacy with the Father. What, what they're saying is if we've partaken with the Father in his life because we've grabbed a hold of the truth that was revealed in Jesus. We've grabbed a hold of the resurrection and the life that manifested in Jesus when he came out of the grave free from sin and death. We've grabbed hold of that thing. We've touched it. We've handled it. Right? We've been intimate with that word of life. And through being intimate with the word of life, we have partaken with the Father in his life. And he goes on to say we've partaken with the Father in his love. His love has been perfected in our hearts and has removed fear from us. Right? And that's really what it means when it gets into, and he shall direct your path. Path doesn't mean whether you go to Colorado or you go to Louisiana. Path is no matter where you are. Your path is there. No matter where you are is your path. And so it's more talking about your walk as you walk in this world. Where Paul would come and say that he ran the good race that he never left the faith. Well, that's an example of the Lord directing your path, right? Paul's path was dripping with the grace of God. The reason it was dripping in the grace of God is because he acknowledged the Lord. He saw the Lord's love for him. He saw what the Lord had done to serve him with his life, and he partook with the Lord in his life. And so his path was always oozing with grace, right? So the way you acknowledge God is you see him with you to serve you with his life, and then you partake with him in his life. Right? And just to give another example in the scriptures, when the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, we we read it in the King James, I shall not want. What it actually says is I do not lack. That's why he doesn't fear the death in the world, because he has a life that can't be overcome by death, but overcomes death, so he doesn't lack anything. The Lord is my shepherd, I do not lack. He prepares a table for me in the midst of my enemies. Now, when the psalmist said that, he was acknowledging God. That's what it meant that he was acknowledging God. When Jesus cried out, Abba, he was acknowledging God. Right Now, Jesus wasn't asking God where he should go or what he should do. There was a different kind of acknowledging going on when he cried out, Abba. 
He saw the Father there with him. He saw the presence of the Father with him. He saw the Father wouldn't suffer him to see corruption, that the Father wouldn't leave his soul in hell. He saw that the Father was with him to pick his life up. He saw that it was the thief that was stealing from him and killing him. He saw it was the thief that had nailed him to the cross, that old serpent, the dragon, the prince of this world. And he saw that the Father is the good Samaritan. And the Father is here with me to pick me up from the dead that the thief has left me and on the side of the road, to fill me with the wine of his life, to make a place for me in his home. He was acknowledging the Lord. That's what it means to acknowledge the Lord, right? I mean, sometimes I used to get so caught up in asking God what I should do, what I should do. Because, man, in some religious systems, acknowledge the Lord in everything you do. You better ask the Lord. And so, man, we got caught up. We take everything to the umpteenth degree as Christian people. You ever realize that? And so I've gotten caught up in every single little thing. What should I do, Lord? What should I do, Lord? What should I do, Lord? Well, you're not living like a little child if you're asking the Lord about every single little thing you should do. I remember God said to me one day real clearly, what do you want to do? And I was like, what do I want to do? I'm not the Lord. I felt like the Israelites. No, 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 you just tell me what to do and I'll do it. <laughs> and the Lord's like, but what do you want to do? I want to do what you want to do with you. It's like we think if we want to go fishing instead of being at church, we're committing some cardinal sin, as if God ain't out there fishing with us. You ever realize there's a part of God that part of God enjoying his life is just being with you doing something you enjoy? You ever realize that? I mean, Bobby in there this morning talked about the joy he felt just watching everybody happy and just observing it. Everybody just, you know, filled with happiness and joy and, and how he felt. Well, man, one of the things God enjoys most about his life is being with you, doing with you what you enjoy. What do you want to do, Greg? It's like the let us. Like God said to each other, let us make man. Right? God's like, well, what do you want to do? What's in your heart, Greg? And I'll be with you doing that. I'll be with you wherever you go. Let us. Right? Let us. So if you like to paint, you like to go fish, man, God is up in that too. Right? So that's acknowledging the Lord. It's not, what, what should, should I go to church today, Lord? <laughs> Should I pray? No, it's not, that's not what it is. And so that's what it means to acknowledge the Lord. You see him with you to serve you with his life. And you partake with him in his life. You're acknowledging him. You see him there serving you with life. And you see, you're acknowledging him. You have intimacy with him. And so the, direct your paths. What does it mean that the Lord shall direct your paths? Right? If it doesn't mean he tells us where we should go and where we shouldn't go, what does it mean that he, he directs our paths? You know, the word direct there means for something to be made right. In the sense of something having been crooked, now being made straight. Right? It's, it's kind of like with the word atonement. You know, atonement means restoration, not punishment. We've been taught a lot in Christianity that the atonement is about God punishing. The atonement actually means restoration. It's about God restoring us from death to life. And the reason he restores us from death to life is because death was crooked. Why was it crooked? It was a sin for us to be dying. Why did God think it was a sin for us to be dying? He thought it was a sin for us to be dying because he never created us to see death. 
He created us to only experience life and to only know his life. And so his desire for us had gotten crooked because now we were dying. And he never wanted us to die. And so how would he make straight our death? The way he would make straight our death is he would remove the death and give us the life that he created us to have from the beginning. An incorruptible life, an eternal life, a life that can't die. A life that isn't subject to the moth and rust in this earth. Right? That's how he made it straight. So when it talks about direct your past, it's more like that. The word direct, it means to fit or fashion something in a particular way. To fit or fashion something in a particular way. So when, when Solomon, who wrote the Proverbs, says God shall direct your path, what it means is that God will make your steps straight. The way he will make your steps straight is he will fill your steps with his life. You're walking around immersed in the shadow of the Almighty. How are you immersed in the shadow of the Almighty? You're walking around in, under the the, what do I want to say? You're walking around in the light of his life, right? So my steps, the Lord direct my path is him causing me to walk in the light of his life, right? Instead of the darkness of death. That's how he makes straight your path, right? We were walking around in a land shadowed by death and we were fearing the death because that death was lifted up in our sight. We weren't acknowledging the Lord. We weren't acknowledging him with us or his presence or the strength in his life. We were acknowledging the death in the world. We were acknowledging the inability in ourselves. We were acknowledging the inability of, of the strength of the flesh. And that was causing us to walk in the path of death and destruction, right? You guys following that? So your path is your walk, right? Like we all, your path is your walk. That's what he's talking about. And so what Solomon is saying is, wherever you are at, wherever you're at, doesn't matter. What, this isn't about where you're at or where you're not at or where you should go or where you're not going. Solomon is saying, wherever you're at, whatever it is you're doing, acknowledge the Lord. Remember, he is with you. Let your intimacy be with him and his life. Fear the Lord, like we just talked about, meaning set your eyes on God in his life and he shall direct your paths. Acknowledge God in his life and the strength of his life is your provision and it will be health to your navel and it will be marrow for your bones. It will be as a barn filled with plenty and it will be as a wine press bursting forth with new wine. That's what, you're, that's what will be filled in your path. Marrow for your bones, health for your navel. He's talking about the path. That's the path. That's how he directs your path. He fills your path with health for your navel, marrow for your bones. He fills your path with new wine bursting forth. He fills your path with barns bursting forth with plenty. That's talking about a path that's filled with life. That's what he means that he shall direct your path. Your path will be filled with God's life, with God's grace, with God's strength, and the fruit of his life. You could just as easily call it walking in the Spirit. Because when you walk in the Spirit, what comes forth, Paul said? The fruit of the Spirit. That's the Lord directing your path. 
You're acknowledging the Lord with you, having poured out the spirit of his life in you, and now you're walking in the spirit of that life, and that has filled your path with peace and love and joy and kindness and patience and mercy and strength and boldness. That's how he directs your path. He fills it with the fruit of his life. So it's not about go here, go there. It's about acknowledge him wherever you're at, and in your path is going to be filled with like, like what was in the promised land, vineyards that you didn't plant, bustling over with fruit. <laughs> right? That's what it's talking about. It's like what Deuteronomy 28 says, you'll be blessed going in and you'll be blessed going out. Well, what is the blessing that you'll have going in and going out? Well, he told us right before that. He said, I've set before you life, blessing and life, cursing and death. Choose life. And so being blessed going in and blessed going out ain't talking about your circumstances. It's talking about everywhere you go, you have the blessing of God's life. And the way you acknowledge the Lord is that you see that his life is with you, even in you. And you acknowledge the strength and the ability that's in his life instead of acknowledging human ability. David acknowledged the Lord before he went out to Goliath. And he said, take this armor off of me. I don't need it. You see, he wasn't looking at human ability. It ain't human ability that's about to take out Goliath. I promise you that. It wasn't human ability that caused me to kill, wrestle the lion and the bear. It was the ability of God. And God's ability abides in me. And that's what he was acknowledging. And so it directed his past. His past were full of life. <laughs> right? You know, what's interesting is... I'll, I love my physical Bible. I love books, so I love physical Bibles. I'll always have physical Bibles. But something I love about the, the phone app is on my phone app, I have all these dictionaries for the Hebrew words. And one of the dictionaries, you know, the, each Hebrew word has a picture meaning and a number of meaning. And so a lot of ancient Hebrew looks at the pictures of the letters, and they derive the definition of the word from the pictures, Right? And so when you look up the ancient Hebrew pictograph for the word direct, that's in the Lord shall direct thy path. When you look up the ancient pictograph that, for that word that's used in Proverbs, it, it's an infant receiving nutrients through the umbilical cord of the mother. The Lord shall direct, you shall receive nutrients from God as a child receives nutrients from the umbilical cord of the mother. That's completely different than what we think of, right? The Lord telling you, go here, go there. Do this, don't do that. Listen, man, living by the Spirit is much more free than that. The whole reason God got his spirit in you is so that you could be led around or so your steps could be ordered by your heart being persuaded that you have an incorruptible life. It wouldn't be so shallow as God telling you what to do all the time. You would be led by peace. It says we're led by the peace of God. And so God's, God's best isn't for him to come and tell you what you have to do and where you have to go. His best isn't for you to have to ask him about everything you do. His best is that he's going to fill you with his peace, with his strength, with his love, his joy, and then you would be led around by those things. Instead of being led around by fear or lack or covetousness or torment 
I mean, so many of us live our lives driven or ordered by fear, anxiety. Well, I feel anxious in this situation, so I'm not going to go there. What are you acknowledging in that place? Human ability? And now that human ability is directing your path. That human ability you're acknowledging is now filling your path with anxiety and fear. I mean, listen, for me, I hate public speaking. Like, I skipped speech class in high school. I took a zero. Because just the thought of standing up in, in front of people was so petrifying for me that I, I wasn't going. You see how my path was directed by me acknowledging human ability? It was filled with anxiety and fear. <laughs> when Solomon says, the Lord will direct your path, what he's saying is, what it's about is the Lord filling you with his grace and his strength and his life everywhere you are and everywhere you go. That's what it's talking about. Your path will be flooded with his grace, his strength, and his life everywhere you are and everywhere you go. Solomon is saying, acknowledge the Lord is with you to be your strength to be your provision for life and your steps will be made straight. Your heart will be purified from fear and you will be filled with the fruit of the spirit. That's what he means. That's what he's talking about. Barnes bursting forth with plenty. He ain't talking about money. Money can't give you peace and love and joy. The wine press bursting forth with new wine. It's not talking about real wine. It's talking about the life of God, the spirit of his life. And so it's describing our path being directed by the Lord. It's us receiving all those things from the Lord as we walk around in this world everywhere we go. Hallelujah. You could say it real simply like this. The Lord directing your path is the Lord purifying your heart from fear. Yea, though I walk through the valley shadowed by death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, Lord. That's his path being directed by God. Fear had been plucked out of his walk. Fear was no longer a part of his walk. Anxiety was no longer a part of his walk. Why? Because he acknowledged the Lord. The Lord was lifted up in his heart. The life that the Lord has in himself, the ability of the Lord, the strength of the Lord was lifted up in his sight. And even though he was in a valley that was shadowed by death, man, fear had been purified from his heart because the Lord had directed his path. You notice how he says walk? Yea, though I walk through the valley, yea, though my path is shadowed with death, you have directed my steps. You have made straight my path by purifying my heart from the fear that comes from death. Does that make sense? You guys following that? So the reason why this, start, this started standing out to me, you know, like I said, as many of you guys know, I take December off. I just started doing that the last three Decembers. And I started doing that so that I could recharge. I'd feel run down. Anybody ever felt run down? I know the Lord doesn't ever feel run down, but we got mortal bodies. Sometimes these mortal bodies don't, like, line up, right? with what we think should be. 
And so I, I take off to recharge and, and be refreshed with the presence of, of the Lord. Well, this, as this December was approaching, I didn't notice this at the time. You just talk. It says out of the heart flow the issues of life. Your heart will reveal what's going on, right? I didn't realize this, but as, as I was approaching December this year, I was kind of limping to the finish line, right? It was almost like, if I can just get to December, I'm going to be okay, you know? It's like the last five miles of a marathon. They say you hit the wall, right? You're going along good, and then you hit the wall. The Boston Marathon, they call it Heartbreak Hill, right? Because you're like, oh, I can't make it. And so I, I really felt like I was limping to the finish line. And some of you may have noticed, some of you that were with me a lot and, and come to the Bible study, some of you may have noticed how often I was saying, I'm so run down. I'm so run down. Like I kept talking about how run down I was. Um, and it can be difficult in ministry, in, in this world, in our society, preaching what we preach here. Because what we preach here is not well received in the church world. It, it's not, right? We're not well received. And so you can feel that sometimes. Sometimes you could feel like Elijah, where Elijah's like, they killed all the prophets, Lord. There's nobody left. It's just me, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, listen, Elijah's like the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, probably. You could argue him or Moses. And there he was lamenting with the Lord. I'm the only one, Lord. And the Lord is like, I've reserved 7,000. <laughs> I've reserved a remnant. <laughs> and he's like, what? And so we can sometimes be acknowledging human ability or sometimes be acknowledging what we see around us and we could start to feel run down. We could start to feel like we're the only one. We could start to feel like we're overwhelmed, right? And so that's how I was feeling this December. And as I was hanging out with God, Walking with God in the cool of the day. You know, I talked about Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day. In the Garden of Eden. Well, the Garden of Eden is a physical place, but the Garden of Eden is also talking about our heart. Our heart is the place where we meet God. The garden of our heart. And so I was walking with God in the cool of the day. I was meeting with him in the, the garden of my heart. Um, and God began tending to the garden of my heart. You know, God will guard your heart. You don't guard your own heart, right? All you do is sit and hear the faith. You hear the word of God, and then his word guards your heart, right? Well, as I was walking with God and meeting with him in the garden of my heart, he began doing some, some plucking out of some weeds. He began to pull some weeds that had gotten in my heart. And I didn't even realize they had gotten there, right? Because you're just plugging along. You're just trying to keep going. You ever felt like that? Like some weeds have grown up? Man, your heart is so precious to God. I mean, ladies that have, you've gardened, you love your garden, don't you? Your plants, you don't like it when your plants don't do good or when bugs get on them or they die. Like it bothers you. We got this lemon tree in our yard and it looks like one of, one of the roots came out of the ground and back in and it looks like that part of the root that came out of the ground froze in this last freeze. And now I'm like looking at the lemon tree and it might die. And I just find myself like, no. I don't want that tree to die. Well, your heart is like a, the garden of God. And he's in your heart, tending it, keeping it, removing things that have tried to get in there, weeds, darkness. He's protecting it. And so I was walking around with God in the garden of my heart, and all of a sudden, I thought we're all good. Yeah, I'm a preacher, don't you know? I'm good. I know the truth. No one needs to tell me. I'm in the scripture all day long. 
And so I did not expect to hear this come up because I thought, it's, I, of course, I'm run down. And I heard the Lord say to me real clearly, who told you you were alone, Greg? Who told you you're naked, Adam? You know, so many times we decide what something means and then we run down the road with it. And so I thank God when he asked me, who told you you were alone, Greg? He said, even should you be all alone in this world, even should everybody leave you. He said, you remember when everybody left Jesus, when he said, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part in me and everybody left. And then he looked at the disciples and said, will you leave now too? He said, even should everybody walk away from you, even should it look like you're all alone in the world, abandon you, how can you ever be alone? Am I always with you or not? You keep saying how alone you are. You keep saying how run down you are, Greg. Who's doing the work? Is it you who is laboring or is it my life in you? Oh, man. That was like. It's like that verse, the chastisement of the Lord can be grievous for her period. <laughs> right? He was correcting a belief in my heart, which is what the chastisement of God is. And the, he corrects you with the good news of the gospel. If you notice in the letter of the Hebrews, those guys were offering animal sacrifices. And those guys that were offering animal sacrifices thought that that was the way to be perfected from sin and death. And the Lord chastised them with that letter. He corrected their belief by revealing to them the Lamb of God, the once for all time sacrifice for sin and death that they had been perfected once for all time. That's chastisement. He chastises you with the good news. And so the Lord came to chastise me, but he came to chastise me with the good news because you see, I was in the place where I wasn't acknowledging God. I was acknowledging myself. I was acknowledging my own ability. I was acknowledging my own strength. I was, I was acknowledging my inability. Right? Like I was looking around and seeing, I do not possess the ability to do these things, and therefore I'm run down. I can't do these things. And so that's where I was at. I was acknowledging my own strength, or rather my own inability, instead of God and the strength that was in his life. And that left me feeling all alone. And that left me feeling all run down. I was like the, it's like with the, 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 the ten spies. Right? that went to spy out the promised land. My fear was before myself instead of before God. And so I didn't, I mean, the spies went to spy out the promised land and they looked at the promised land and they saw the giants there. And what did they say? We can't take the land. Now, I don't care how big you think someone is. Do you really think the Lord can't take the land? Do you think the Lord can't give you the land? So when you come back and say, that we can't take the land because of the giants there, what that means is you're considering yourself and human ability. Your own ability is lifted up in your eyes. Your, the fear of yourself is lifted up in your sight instead of the fear of the Lord. And so I was in the place where I was filling my belly with the strength of the flesh. And that was directing my path. It was filling my path with weakness, with frustration, with the feeling of being overwhelmed. To the point where I'm giving God edicts. Either you do this or I'm out, bro. I mean, I will keep going as long as I can, but I'm telling you, I'm on the path of collapse. 
And so you need to straighten this stuff out. And by straighten this stuff out, I meant like external things. We always think it's external things. And so, I mean, the Lord answers your prayers. You got to straighten this out. And the Lord said, the way to straighten this out is to get up in the garden of your heart, bro, because some weeds have grown up in your heart. And now we're going to tend to those weeds. We're going to pluck them out, right? And that will be the answer to what you're talking about. Second Corinthians chapter four. I love these verses. I've always loved these verses, but they're standing out so powerfully now to me. It's just a simple thing, but it's so powerful. Um, I told everybody in the Bible study, you can see the things that really impacted the Apostle Paul's life, like on an individual personal level that really impacted his life because he mentions them in several of his letters. He mentions them in different places, but he mentions the same thing. And that's always a big hint, like this was a pillar in the Apostle Paul's life and what caused him to be animated with grace as he walked around in the world doing these mighty exploits everywhere. I mean, what was the power behind his life? What was the revelation that was in this guy that filled him with this kind of dunamis, dynamo, right? What is it that did it? Well, these verses, I I think, are one of the keys to that. Um, And he talks about it, I think, is it 2 Corinthians 12, where he talks about when Jesus said to him, my grace is your sufficiency? Is that 1 Corinthians or 2? 2 Corinthians, that's a sister uh, explanation to what these verses say. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. See, I had gotten perplexed, and that perplexion was starting to turn into despair. Like it was in route, right? (laughs) Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. I just want to give you a hint. Paul, When Paul says always bearing about in his body the dying of the Lord Jesus, he's not talking about a physical death there because you don't need to die a physical death for the life of Christ to manifest in you. He's talking about something in his heart always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So he's talking about an earthen vessel that can feel weakness, and he's also talking about that mortal flesh being animated with the strength of God. Right? And it's a powerful thing, he says there. So Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Do you guys know what the treasure is? Jesus. That's one way of saying it. The hope of glory, Christ in you. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency would be of the power of God. That the excellency of the power would be of God and not of us. And so the treasure Paul's talking about is eternal life. The treasure is the incorruptible seed of God's life. And so Paul says, we have the treasure of eternal life in an earthen vessel. Now, an earthen vessel is a mortal body. He talked about mortal flesh later on in those verses. An earthen vessel is a mortal body. It's called earthen because our bodies were made from the dust of the ground. If you actually take a sample of the dust of the ground and take a sample of our bodies, do you realize they have the almost exact same mineral makeup? It's almost identical. It's because these mortal bodies were made out of the dust of the ground. Now listen, these mortal bodies can feel weakness. Y'all ever experienced that? 
These mortal, you know, your heart can feel strong and your mortal body could feel weak. And so these mortal bodies can feel weakness. They can feel overwhelmed. The weakness we can feel in these mortal bodies comes when we feel stressed, when we feel pressed by tribulation, right? When we feel those things, when we encounter tribulation, when we encounter pressures and stress, when we encounter distress, man, these mortal bodies can feel weak. They can feel overwhelmed, right? So Paul says there that the weakness we feel in those moments in our mortal body, he says something profound that he began to live by. You guys ever notice how when we feel weakness, we interpret it as a sign of something bad? Something evil is going on? Like we're being overcome? Paul learned for the, the script to be flipped. He said, I have this treasure in the earthen vessel that every time my earthen vessel feels weakness, it would be a reminder to me or a sign to me that the excellency of the power is not of myself, it's of God. He no longer interpreted the feeling of weakness as a negative thing. He no longer saw the weakness as a sign that he was being overcome or that strength was absent for him or that he didn't have the ability he needed to perform the ministry that was in his heart to perform. He no longer saw it that way. He began to see the weakness as a sign that the power behind his life is the ability of God. The power behind his life is the strength that's contained in God's life. That's how he began viewing it. So it's meant to be a reminder, Paul says. We have this treasure in earth and vessels. And it's meant to be a reminder to us that the excellency is of God and not of ourselves. So what would happen is that we would acknowledge God's ability is present with us. And what would happen when we could see God's ability was present with us, we would bear about in our bodies the death of the Lord Jesus. And what would follow is that the life of Jesus would manifest in us. Because when your mortal body feels weakness, you know what you're being compelled to do? Take up your own life. Get off the cross. Bring comfort to yourself. You see, we would see the weakness as a sign that our life is being overcome. What are we going to do to preserve it? That's kind of what Paul saw in 2 Corinthians when it says he called out to the Lord thrice to remove this thorn. And then the Lord Jesus comes down and says, my grace is your sufficiency. And Paul's like, rather I rejoice now when I feel weak that the life of God would be made manifest in me. Well, why would you rejoice when you feel weak? Because Paul's talking about, I realize that the weakness I feel in this mortal body, it reminds me that the excellency is of God and not of myself. That the power behind my life is the life of God and the strength of his life and not the strength in my own hand. It's no longer human ability I'm acknowledging when I feel weakness, but what it's doing is it's serving as a sign and reminder to me of God's ability, of God's presence with me, of God's life in me, that it's God living in me, not me. And not me, Greg the person, but the force behind my life is not Greg's ability. It's not Greg's strength. It's the ability contained in God's life that's the power behind my life. So in my mortal body, if I feel weakness, who cares? Because in that weakness, I see the excellency is of God. And now I'm acknowledging God and that he's with me and that he's there, got his hand stretched forth towards me to serve me with life. That's caused me to bear about in my body the death of the Lord Jesus. What is it that happened in the death of the Lord Jesus? Jesus did not acknowledge human ability when he was on the cross. 
He acknowledged the ability of God and the ability in God's life. He saw the excellencies of God, not this mortal body. So that what? So that the life of God could be made manifest in me. That's why Paul could come and rejoice when he felt weak. He wasn't happy about the weakness. It's just he didn't make the weakness his daily bread. The weakness served as a reminder to him of the table God prepared for him. The weakness served as a reminder to him that the ability that he needed to perform, the ability that he needed to experience life was contained in God and not in himself. And he began acknowledging the presence of the Lord with him. And he began acknowledging the ability in God. God can even raise the dead. Whether I live or whether I die, Christ will be made manifest in me. Whether I live or whether I die, life is coming forth in me. That's what he began twisting on. And so the way that this would work is you would feel weakness. But the weakness would cause you to see that the excellency is of God and the strength of his indestructible life. And what that does is it causes you to bear about in your body the dying of the Lord Jesus, meaning you don't look to human ability and you don't look to human strength when you feel weakness because just like Jesus, when he felt weakness on the cross, he saw the excellency was of God and he acknowledged God and God's presence and the strength in God's life. That's the same thing that happens in you when you feel weakness. You acknowledge God. You acknowledge the excellencies of him. You acknowledge the ability of God's life, not human ability. It's in that place that the life of Christ is also made manifest in you. You bear about inside your heart the death of the Lord Jesus. You stop considering human ability, and then you bear about in your body the life of the Lord Jesus also because you've considered the ability of God's life. Right? That's how your steps are directed. That's how your past become filled with bursting forth barns. New wine. Hmm. You can find yourself happy about the weak. If every time you felt weak, you heard a voice saying, the excellency is of God and not of yourself. God is with you. His presence abides in you. And the ability of his life can even raise the dead. If every time you felt weak, you thought that, do you know what would then be made manifest in you? The life of God. <laughs> and your steps would be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, with grace, with strength. Right? That's the foundation. It's meant to be a sign. So our thoughts are filled with his ability and his strength when we're in need. Instead of our thoughts being filled with our own strength and our own ability and our own expertise. Right? And that's the foundation from where the life of the Lord Jesus is brought forth in us. Right? It's like the Holiday Inn. You guys ever seen the, the commercials for the Holiday Inn Express? I think one of the commercials, somebody gets injured or hurt and they're on the ground needing like a doctor or a medic, and the person runs over there and starts like performing all these medical procedures on the person laying on the ground, and the people gather around and they're like, are you a doctor? Are you a doctor? Like, where are you deriving the strength to be working on this guy? And they're like, no, but I did stay in the Holiday Inn Express last night. So the people come to them and they want to know, where are you getting the strength and the ability to perform these tasks? Is that strength in yourself? Are you a doctor? No, 
I'm deriving the ability that I'm getting to perform these medical procedures from the Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> you get a whole lot of wisdom from the Holiday Inn Express, right, Mo? <laughs> That's the same kind of thing that we're talking about. It's, it, it's a powerful thing that happens in us, but it's a very simple thing of acknowledging. And it can be as simple as just being reminded that the ability of God's life abides in you. The power behind your life is God. And when you feel weakness, it just means the world has got you fixated on human ability. The world has got you fixated on the strength it has in itself. And that's why you feel weakness. But the gospel teaches us that when we experience that weakness, man, we know the excellency is of God and not of ourselves. So we don't start feeding on our weakness. We don't start making our inability our daily bread. We don't start filling our bellies full of our own strength. But we begin thinking about the one who has strength in his life and the strength of his life and how his incorruptible seed abides in us and his incorruptible seed even conquers death. And then you start feeling like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is why Paul would come and say that. He didn't say when things are going good, then I'm juiced. He said whether I'm abased or I'm abounding, I've learned to be content in all things. Whether I, how can you learn to be content in all things, whether you're abased or you're abounding? It's because in all things you're acknowledging that God is there with you, that his presence is in you, and that his life is the power behind you. That his strength, the strength in his life is the power behind your whole being. And that's how you can feel content. Because the only reason why we feel discontent is when we think we don't have life. And when we're abased, do you know what that abasing is trying to tell us? You don't have life. Where's your God now? Where's your God now is, where's the life you say you have? Why would Paul come and say he's not ashamed of the gospel? His life didn't look real pretty, did it? You know, Paul would be rejected in American Christianity today because he wouldn't be living in a mansion. He wouldn't be a millionaire. He wouldn't have all these things that we think are signs of holiness and prosperity. Paul had prosperity of the soul. He had a heart filled with the fruit of the Spirit. That's where he found contentment. So t two years ago is when I started, you know, really feeling particularly pressed and stressed. And so two years ago, when I was feeling pressed and stressed, because I didn't think I had the ability to perform everything, a lot of you guys heard me say, I don't know how to do the technology. I don't know how to work the video. It, it took me eight hours just to try and figure out how to do the live stream, and then I still didn't have it figured out. And so some of you heard me feeling all pressed and stressed, because I didn't think I had the ability to perform everything that was needed in ministry. And you know what I told God? I said, I'll either be the tech guy or I'll be the preacher. I ain't going to be both. I can't be both. You choose. And so I told God to choose which one it was going to be. Because I said, I, I got the strength to do one or the other. And I said, I don't really care which one. I don't have to be the preacher. I'll be the tech person. I'll be very happy being the tech person. Get another preacher. I don't know if you guys realize it, but there's no tech person that has come. And I don't know if you realize it, there's no other preacher that has come either. And so 
I kind of got to the place where I thought God has not answered my prayer, right? You choose. I'll do one or the other, Lord. Never mind the verse I just said. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here I am telling God about what I can't do. Because I'm so run down. And I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability, Lord. There I was telling him. Now, whose ability do you think I was acknowledging when I told God I can be the tech guy or I can be the preacher, but I can't be both? Whose ability do you think I was thinking of? Exactly. I mean, you guys that have been in this church, every single week you've heard me talk about looking to the Lord's strength and not your own. Yet here I was filling my belly with my own ability. And I say some of these things to be transparent. Because in our, in our modern culture, sometimes we've gotten the idea that the preacher is like up here and he's like some superhuman and we're down here. And we're all the same, right? We all need to be reminded. Jesus, the Son of God, pulled away from people to go be alone with the Lord, to go be alone with the Father. And so clearly I'm thinking of my own ability when I told God that. I mean, it's like God told me, listen, Greg, if it's Christ who lives in you, if it's my life, in my grace, that's the power behind your life. If it's my life and my grace that's performing the work in you, how can you tell me what you can and can't do? He said, do you realize it's like you're telling me that I'm too weak to be the preacher and I'm too weak to be the tech person? It's like you're telling me that my life can't handle being both. And I never saw it like that till recently. And I was like, you're right. I am. It's like I think you're too weak to be the preacher and the tech person. And it was like in that moment, immediately, I stopped acknowledging my own ability and whether or not I thought I had the strength to do these things. And it was like immediately I began acknowledging God in everything. Immediately when I was something was put in front of me, something that needed to be done, or, or my daily schedule, whatever you want to call it, immediately I began thinking of, it's the strength of God. It's the strength of God. I immediately began acknowledging God again. And do you know what happened? All of a sudden, there was no more pressure. There was no more stress. I no longer felt run down anymore. I mean, even since the beginning of this new year, I've been juggling more things than I've ever juggled. Now, not only am I juggling all the same things, but now I'm planning some gathering. I'm the admin of this gathering we're planning. I'm no administrator. And I'm the preacher. And I'm organizing it all. And I'm organizing all the travel of everyone. And I can tell you, I feel very laid back and relaxed about it. Do you realize, do you realize why? Because all of a sudden I realize that the ability that's performing these things is God's ability. And this is all very small stuff for God. And that's filled me with the peace, with the calmness. It's animated me with the grace. A grace that I can do all things. And so when something comes into my stratosphere, I don't find myself thinking, I can't do that. I'm run down. I don't have the time. I'm too busy. I don't have enough time in the day. All those things were me considering my own ability. It was me acknowledging human ability, the strength in my own hand, instead of acknowledging the ability of God and the strength of his life. And now all of a sudden, I find what Paul said has been born in me. I can do all things through Christ who has strengthened me. Right? Is there anything you think Jesus can't do? Okay. Now, that doesn't mean you go out and try to do what Jesus did. But if you find yourself feeling weak, then what that means is you're looking to your own ability instead of the ability of, of God. 
in his life that manifested in Jesus. So start acknowledging the strength that's in God's life. Start acknowledging that his presence abides in you. And you'll find yourself juiced and strengthened to do things that you can't imagine how you even find the ability to do it. And you won't feel stressed out about it. You'll feel real cool. Right? You'll feel real cool. <laughs> mm. That's one of the main revelations I see Paul unwrapping. Right? Was how do I interpret the feeling of weakness? Because we look for signs. Everything's a sign for us. We look for signs that we're loved. We look for signs that we're accepted. Whether we're accepted or rejected, we're always looking for signs. I mean, if we weren't looking for signs, then why would we ever interpret what somebody else did as them rejecting us? The only way you can come to that conclusion is if you're looking for a sign to determine whether you're accepted or rejected. And so what Paul learned is that this weakness that used to be a sign to him, that strength wasn't there, he now realized the weakness was a sign that the excellency was of God, of not of himself. And then he began acknowledging the Lord with him, even in him, and the strength in the Lord's life, and how the strength in the Lord's life was the power behind him. And then he was able to do, what did he say? I labored more abundantly than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God labored in me. Right? Hmm. It even got to the point with me that when I felt so stressed out, like I didn't have enough time to, to do all the ministry that needed to be done. And I started asking God because I realized Jesus had to be more busy than me. But you don't read in the scriptures about Jesus, you know, being stressed out. I don't have enough time in the day. And you ever notice like when people would come and tell him some heavy stuff, like somebody's dying, like homeboy did not rush around. He's still just like going at his pace. You know, like cool hand Luke. And I used to think, well, man, it's because he's eternal life and eternal life is outside of time. And so I started talking with God about how can I live outside of time when I'm inside of time? I mean, your life is outside of time. And then God real quickly said to me, he said, Greg, it's not about living inside or outside of time. It's that Jesus's heart was always acknowledging my presence and the ability of my life in everything that he did. And that is what causes you to live outside of time. Because time can't be a constraint on you if you're acknowledging the Father and the ability in his life. The, the ability, like when Lazarus, come quick, Lazarus is dying. Did you see Jesus abandon everything he was doing and come quick? No, he left that dude lay in the grave for a few days. Because he was acknowledging the ability of the Father's life. And it didn't matter how long Lazarus laid in that grave. Lazarus could have decomposed in that grave. The ability of the Father's life, the strength in the Father's life, can even bring ashes, bring Lazarus back from ashes and bring him out of the grave. And so what's the rush? But do you see how that feeling of rush? Like, have you ever gotten a call where you felt, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get there? Well, what are we acknowledging when we feel that? Right. Human ability, rather human inability. We're acknowledging. We'll finish with this, Philemon. You don't get, Philemon doesn't get a lot of references in, in the church. If you struggle to read the Bible, man, go read Philemon. It's one chapter. <laughs> It'll be a quick read for you. <laughs> That's how you can get your feet wet, 
right? Don't try and tackle a lengthy book like numbers immediately. You'll get lost in all the begats. So-and-so begat so-and-so, and next thing you know, you don't know who's begatting who, you know? <laughs> Philemon chapter 1, verse 4. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication, and this is the part I want to focus on, that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging, there's that word, acknowledging, that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. That the faith that you have, that it would show itself active in your life by you acknowledging every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. Now, did you notice how I was acknowledging every weakness I had? Do you notice how I was looking at myself and acknowledging all my inability? And that was directing my path, filling it with weakness and stress and anxiety and frustration. And that, it was a simple thing the Lord came and shifted. And so when the Apostle Paul writes this letter to Philemon, Philemon had a servant called Onesimus. And Onesimus left. He went AWOL. Right? Like back in those days, you owned these, these people. And so you, that was punishable by death. Right? You, you couldn't just decide you're going to leave. And if you decided to leave, you, the, the owner or the person, the master of the servant, could execute like a death warrant on you for doing it, whatever they pleased. Right? And so Anesimus had gone and gotten saved by Paul. And Philemon was also a disciple of Paul. And so Paul's now writing a letter to Philemon asking Philemon to receive Onesimus back into the house and not to punish him. And he talks about, to Philemon about how, you know, he's also an heir of the salvation that you're an heir of. He's not less than you, and you're not more than him, right? And then he talks about th that the communication of the faith that you have, right? That the faith that you have would show itself active in your heart and in your life by manifesting love in you, by you acknowledging the treasure you have inside of you, the eternal life you have inside of you, the incorruptible seed of God's life that you have inside of you by the hand of God, right? That's what Paul points him to. You know, Galatians talks about faith which worketh by love. And I know I say this a million times and no one ever likes it. It's okay, I, I've come to the place where I don't say things so that people will like it. But Galatians says but faith which worketh by love. And I know the traditional rendering of that is that, oh, love will come forth when you, or faith will come forth when you see God loves you. Well, that's a true statement. But the, the context of that verse is not what, that's not what Paul's saying. What Paul's saying is that faith, the faith of the Son of God that was revealed in Jesus when he was nailed to a cross, that faith shows itself active in our lives by producing peace and love and joy and grace and strength in mercy, in kindness, in patience. And so that's what Paul's talking about when he talked about the communication of your faith. I desire that the faith you have be made active in you, right? And so faith shows itself active in our lives by putting our flesh to rest. It shows itself active in our lives by animating us with the grace of God and the fruit of the Spirit. In the context of Galatians, Paul was talking about you have a certainty of righteousness through the faith. 
And the righteousness there is the fruit of the Spirit. He's exhorting them to continue to hear the faith, to continue to live by the faith that was revealed in the Son of God. Because he says that faith, what it will produce in you, is peace and love and joy. And there's not a single law you can follow that can produce peace and love and joy in you. It's the faith that was revealed in Jesus Christ that can produce these things in you. And so faith shows itself active in us by filling us full of grace. It's the faith that was revealed in Jesus that's full of grace for us. It's the faith that was revealed in Jesus that's full of power to produce the fruit of the Spirit in us. It's through faith that we have eternal life, isn't it? And so what Paul's saying there is, if we have faith, if we have eternal life through faith, as we acknowledge the incorruptible seed of God's life dwelling in our mortal bodies, faith manifests itself in us by strengthening us with His grace. Do you want your faith to become active? Do you want the faith to be active in you? Then acknowledge the incorruptible seed of God's life that it has served you with. And it will animate you with grace. Right? Don't acknowledge human ability. Don't acknowledge human strength. Rather acknowledge the strength that's contained in God's life. Rather acknowledge God's presence with you. God's presence abiding in you, right? It doesn't matter how long you've walked with the Lord, you can still always marvel at the Lord. And I got to say, I'm amazed at how quickly I shifted from feeling run down and pressed and stressed to like a smurf. La, 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 la. But nothing's changed. And in fact, I got more to do now in less time than I had before. I got more problems than I had before. But I find myself just feeling okay and happy because I'm acknowledging that it's God's ability with me, even in me, to perform these things. Right? And so maybe you're feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you're feeling weakness. We just want to pray for you. Maybe your mind has gotten filled with the inability you see, um, the weakness you see. Father, we just thank you that your spirit is with us, that your presence abides in us. I just thank you, Lord, that your presence is abiding in everyone listening to this and that your presence begin to minister life to, to, the, to, to us, that your presence open our eyes to the strength that's contained in your life, that we live our lives in this earth, being immersed, being caught up with the strength that's in your life lifted up in our sight. I just thank you, Father, that our weakness is not greater than your strength. I just thank you, Father, that you minister your strength as the power behind our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Y'all are awesome. Have a good day.